Welcome to the trials and tribulations of a 40-something. My name is Amanda and my main goal with this podcast is to share other people's journey. How they face challenges and struggles but yet turn their lives around. If this can give another person a sense of hope that they can do the same and move forward in a positive way, well then I am fulfilling my goal. Today I was joined by Matt Fidesz. Matt is a business consultant, media personality, entrepreneur, property developer and owner of the largest martial arts dance chain in the world. Matt very kindly offered to come onto my podcast after we connected in Clubhouse. A very humble man considering his huge success, lifestyle and the famous friends he has in his contacts list. One of his very close and dear friends was the late Michael Jackson after he became his bodyguard. Matt spoke about his passion for martial arts, bullying and his drive to make a difference. He already has made a huge difference and I have no doubt he will continue to do so. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Matt. Hey, Amanda, how are you? I'm very well. How's yourself? Very good, thanks. You hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, loud and clear. Oh, happy days. Loud and clear. I know you sort of be a wee bit nervous when you're doing it on the phone because you're thinking, oh, Jesus, the Wi-Fi, technology, all of that there can let you down. But sure, we'll go for it anyway. I know. It's all good because... You only get problems when you got video normally. So it's um this is the best way to do it with sound, it's nice and clear. Well, this is it. Um, I don't have to worry about putting my lippy on whenever I'm doing it on the phone. No one can see me. It's a bit like Clubhouse, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And that is yeah. virtually met was Clubhouse, and you very kindly offered to come onto my podcast. So right. I'm very grateful. I remember your, your sneaky puppy-eyed uh, profile pic. <laughs> it worked a dream. Yeah, that, that Gary's a good guy. I like Gary. Yeah, he is. He's one of those, I was actually chatting to him earlier, um, he's one of those guys that if he can do something to help another person, he will go out of his way to help whoever he can, which, you know, that's a, a special quality. Yeah, he's got a big place as he is. So what are you working on right now? Well, um, my podcasts and a wee bit of mentoring in between. Um, but at the minute, I think my focus is the podcast because um, I kind of feel that when a person shares their story, and I think that I'd said this the other day in Clubhouse that the room you were on, um, that when somebody shares their story and um, another person is listening that is maybe currently going through you know, a challenging time when they hear somebody else has come out to the other side, it gives them the motivation to and the hope, I guess, that they too can come out the other side. And that's why I kind of started um, these podcasts and called it. I know it's called the trials and tribulations of a 40 something, but everyone has trials and tribulations and challenges and what have you. But I was just looking at your social media there, Matt. A business consultant, media personality, entrepreneur, property developer, owner of the largest martial arts dance chain in the world, husband, father. Anything else to add to that list? Well, I guess it's the thing that that shadows my career forever. So I was, I was Michael Jackson's uh, 
personal bodyguard for a friend for 10 years. So um, I don't stick it on there. It's on my clubhouse one, but it won't be for much longer, I don't think. But uh, otherwise, when I come into a room, everyone just wants to talk about Michael Jackson all the time, which I don't mind. But after... I was just going to ask you that. Does it get to the stage? I know he was obviously a big part of your life, but does it get to the yeah. stage that you're going... And I'm done talking about him now. I'm, this is, I'm Matt. I want to talk about, I don't mean I want to talk about myself, but, you know, your own sort of what's going on with you rather than what went on when you worked for him. When he was alive, there wasn't that interest in him like there is now. So yeah. when I had like media features on me, they rarely talked about Michael. Now, whenever I do media stuff or I do a TV show, it's all more, always former bodyguard to Michael Jackson. <laughs> and um, you just got to learn to live with it. Even like my PR company said that he's the biggest star in the world, and you just got to learn. Yeah. You'll never shake it off. No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. If it inspires people, because it's such an unusual story, people they listen to it, they learn from it, and they get inspired from it to go and take some action in their own careers. So, but he was ten years of my life, you know, pretty much. Yeah. So it was having him as a friend is a. Uh, made my life a bit more unique so no, it doesn't bother me anymore it did when he died because it was pretty crazy the media were all over it it was all these conspiracy theories and things and it was like never ending but now it's calm you gotta love a conspiracy theory don't you yeah yeah <laughs> even with me you know it's just if you're associated to something like that you get these ridiculous stuff when i wake up each day to something called google alerts where if your name is mentioned in the media anywhere in the world, then you get notified on your email. And some of the stuff I wake up to is just ridiculous. I mean, I'm not, I'm not do, I don't do interviews or anything to the media, but they just, they put allegedly in front or could have been and maybe, and, yeah. and they can't defame a dead person, so they can say what the heck they want about Michael. But no, you just, you just got to do it. I've been quite successful sometimes. Where I do, I did a TV show. Um, I did two episodes of a show called Rich House, Poor House. And that's like a business-based show where you swap your house with another family. I lived I lived in a council estate, like a terrace house, a council estate with a family. And they lived in my big mansion, got to drive my Bentley and everything. I had to live off their budget. Wow. And we, and we managed to get them to agree in the contract to not mention Michael Jackson at all. And it, it worked in the program. They didn't mention it. Even though the other family, they realized when they got to my house straight away that I was Michael's friend and lots of famous people's friends. And... They kept wanting to talk about it the whole time. And and Channel 5 kept saying, I know you, you can't talk about that. They couldn't understand why until afterwards. And they realized I, I put a restriction upon them to to stop it. And it turned out when I was at this guy's house, looking at his record collection, he was the biggest Michael Jackson fan you could imagine. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really frustrating. That must have been challenging for him. It was challenging for him. But we became good friends and he ended up working with me. And then we did a second episode one year later too about how his uh, life changed and, and so on. So, but no, you know, it's one of those things that used to bother me, but now it doesn't anymore because it's uh, it was part of my career. And he, he is the biggest name in the world. I mean, there's never going to be another Michael Jackson, that's for sure. It's, oh, that's so um, true. And, you know, as you said, it was 10 years of your life. You can't really kind of glaze over that and just pretend, you know, it's not part of who you are and, you know, got you to, well, I'm not saying it got you to, or he got you to where you are, but I'm sure he had a, a part to play. Yeah, Mike did. He had that that kind of aura about him 
And when you're part of that inner circle of him and his friends, his business friends and stuff, you uh, when you're 18 years old, you get raised on that rather than going out to nightclubs and pubs and, and trying to get laid by girls and all this stuff like my mates were doing. I was hanging around with the megastars and the billionaires, so it's going to rub off on you. And, and it did. You don't really realise it when you're 18 years old, but when you're when you're oh, 41 now, so I'm perfect for this show. 40, was it 40 something? So I am the something. Yeah, 40 something. Yeah, you just you just got in there. Just got in there, yeah. So yeah, so for, for me, it was uh, it was a great thing, and it, it's true to say you're you always hear the saying that your network is your net worth, and that's very true. That really is true. You become the five closest people you mix with, and the books you read. And the podcast you listen to now, your social media, you look at, it's really important. You've got to be careful what you absorb. So for, so for me, it was a great honor, you know, to, to have him. He taught me how to franchise my business. And then um, I did, I made eight franchise networks from that. Um, and then his inner circle taught me how to invest in properties. We got one of the biggest property portfolios in the Southwest of the UK. And um, wow. on the back of that, now I teach other businesses how to scale their business through franchising, which is going incredibly well. So, yeah, if it weren't for him, then um, it's fair to say I don't know where my career would be because I had no qualifications on nothing. I was working for £2.75 as a lifeguard at the local legislative centre, so it would have been interesting what would have happened. But, uh, but how do you go from, uh, like, like, you're only 18, to go from, from that to to working for one of the most famous people in the world how, how, how does that happen even well i had this very successful business and we had five martial arts schools at the time and there was a journalist who who is a, a parent of two students in in one of my main schools that i had and it's the, the most successful martial arts schools in the uk all five schools i think i had like 1500 members and um, I was making a lot of money, you know, and it was like talk of the town because it's North Devon, middle of nowhere, like 30,000 population. And we had all these members. So the, the journalist was very interested to write about my career because he knew I had no qualifications. And I started martial arts, got bullied at school and he didn't interview okay. me. And then he worked out that I was making a lot of money and then um, got me a pitch, take a few pictures of me in my sports car. I just thought it'd be for the local paper, and, uh, and then a few days later, it's front page of every tabloid paper in the UK. Buddy Boy becomes millionaire, and then I did all the TV shows: oh. Trisha, Esther Ramson, Kilroy, Lorraine Kelly, and that came to the attention of my my best friend, who's uh, you probably remember Yuri Geller. And um, oh yeah, yeah, Yuri called Yuri's people actually. What Yuri? Yuri's people called out the blue. And left a message at my receptionist's answer phone and said, um, Yuri Geller wants to meet Matt for this. And uh, I went to his big mansion. He's got this big, credible £20,000 mansion on Son and on Thames next to George Clooney's house. And I met with Yuri Geller. Oh, oh. We... Larry, can we have a moment just for George Clooney? <laughs> oh, you like George, yeah? No one ever sees him. I don't know how much he's there. No one ever sees him, I don't think. But... But um, yeah, we have, we became best buddies, really. And he, um, the whole idea, he wanted to make a video on positive thinking, which he would cover, and an anti-bullying mm -hmm. kids, which I would cover, and give out the VHS free to all the kids in in the UK. And then that, how it progressed from there, it's just 
I knew he had lots of famous friends and, and uh, presidents would call him and stuff like that. He's like a life coach. He's like a unique Tony Robbins. And in the UK, they kind of see him as a spoon bender. I think in Ireland they do as well. But around, yeah. around the yeah. world, it's more about mind power and positivity and the spoon bender things like Tony Robbins with a firewalk. Whereas UK, they don't, if you live here, there's a saying that you can't be a prophet in your hometown. And um, that was very true with, with Yuri. So he lives in Israel now. He's a, a judge for Simon Cowell on Israel's Got Talent. He's got the Yuri Geller Museum. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, he's doing that. And oh, wow. He's back there. He's 74 years old. And he's uh, he's still smashing it with his goal, still as ambitious as ever. And um, we talk daily still now, all these years later. But, yeah, long story short, he called me in the middle of the night and he said, it's about three o'clock in the morning. And he said, "Can you, you need to come to my house now. And I said, I can't come to your house now. I live in North Devon. He was in Reading, Southern on Thames. It'd take me three hours. And he's like, Matt, if you don't come now, you regret it for the rest of your life. I'm like, what am I going to tell my partner? She's going to think I'm going out for getting up to mischief or something. This is a bit dodgy. It's very dodgy, yeah. Because he wouldn't tell me anything. <laughs> and he said, if you, you got a Ferrari, stop moaning, get in your car. <laughs> yeah, I was lovely. Bye. And he put the phone down to me. And anyway, I got to his house and there was no giveaways, really. His big electric gates open and I get to his house and there was these three SUVs outside and I get inside and this uh, this frail guy walks up to me and he does like a martial arts bow and he says, I'm Michael Jackson. And I think, I put his hand up to shake my hand. I think, I know you are, but what the, what the heck are you doing here? You know, what's all this? <laughs> yeah, they were best buddies. They were best friends. I mean, Yuri designed Michael's um, last album, Invincible. He's very good at art, and uh, we um, we became close friends. So I was a friend first before I became helping him out with security. Okay. But he was fascinated in martial arts. He was already a black belt when I met him. His dad, Joe Jackson, made him and the Jackson Five all get qualified as black belts, and um, he wanted me to take him to second degree black belt. And he also wanted to meet Bruce Lee's daughter Shannon and Bruce Lee's ex-wife Linda, which he. Yuri knew I could make happen. But we, we just, I think Yuri also knew I didn't need anything from Michael because uh, I was already financially independent. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't need to, you know, people always around people that were after money or something. I had, I had nothing to gain from Mike other than be his friends. So Yuri's trying to put people in his life that could help him. Then all over the course of the years, of course, whenever we'd go out, being six foot four and um, the bodybuilder martial arts champion, I'm always at the front trying to look after my friend, Michael. And uh, mm -hmm. I never took money from him. He offered me money many times, but I never did. And that's why I, that's why I think it, it went so well. So the first four years, I was doing lots of public appearance with him and things. And then he had his trial then in 2005. So he had the Nation of Islam look after him then. And then after that, to his death, I was more of a friend and trying to advise him the best I could. He went to live in Bahrain for a bit. And he also went to live in Ireland for, I don't know if you know that, for seven months. He lived there. No yeah, before he we went to America um, for the last time, he lived in um, up in on the border there between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. He was there for seven months or so. He recorded some albums there and he did Thriller 25 there. He flew Will I Am in. And wow, I never knew that. Yeah, the Irish people were very supportive of him. Michael Flatley would help him a lot too. Michael Flatley's a good friend of him and he would go down there to. My goodness, Matt, the circles that you move in, I have to say, I do believe you are, no, I was going to say you're possibly, you are 
the most famous person I have ever spoke to in my entire life. Ah, that's funny. Most famous person who knows famous people. That's probably what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's all the same. Yeah, I, I love Ireland. Though. Yeah. Ireland's where my roots are from. My mum was, uh, she was born in Kerry. Uh, my grandparents are from a place called Dungarvan, between Waterford and Cork. And um, yeah, so I spent so much time over there. And we, we're just about to open up in, well, we started in Northern Ireland and then we're spreading across Southern Ireland too. So yeah, I always like going back there. I like the music and the culture and everyone's so friendly. Oh, the people are just amazing. Uh, they're, they're amazing. They're I just want to go back on something. You were saying that you were bullied um, when you were younger. What are your kind of, what would you recommend to, like, if there's a, a, a parent listening to this whose child is currently going through bullying, you know, the way, I don't know, like, you'd hear some of the mentality of some people would be, oh, just fight back, fight back, or ignore it, or what do you think is the best approach when it comes to a child being bullied? It's a tough one, because if you fight back, you get in trouble with school, and then you're expelled. Yeah. And then um, the other problem is, too, is the child tells their parent and normally they go to the teacher and then the bully becomes worse. What we, yeah. um, what we find works really is to make the child so confident. And uh, we, we actually get our instructors to go in and they do like a show and tell where they show how great this kid is at martial arts. And that normally stops the bully or teach them how to mm -hmm. recognize people who are bad and ignore it because a lot of it's mental and verbal abuse so they can manoeuvre themselves around. I think my parents changed me like six different primary schools. It was quite intense to try and get rid of it because but because I was an underconfident kid, I would attract them. Mm -hmm. It's quite funny, actually. If you look on my Instagram, you'll see that um, this morning, Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby, they wanted me on about three years ago now because they tracked down the kid who bullied me. And, yeah, oh. and he wanted to meet me and... Um, he wanted to apologize. That was just the thing. And I I was keen to meet him, but they wanted to do it on national TV to try and be an inspirational situation for their, um, Philip Schofield's uh, got a campaign called Be Kind. So, um, yeah, yeah, well, I agreed to do it. So I agreed to meet this guy's called Anthony. And um, we were, we were separated. We had different green rooms. So we couldn't meet each other beforehand. I come out first and they tell my story. People can watch it on my Instagram TV. And then, um, and then Anthony comes out and I, I shake his hands and I thank him. You know, everyone thought I was going to kick him in the head or something, but I thanked him because if it wouldn't fit. I actually remember that episode. I remember that. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge. Just when you're saying, yeah, I remember seeing that. And then a year later, we went back on again and I trained him. I work out with him and he's my anti-bully ambassador now. And uh, we do projects together and stuff. We became very good friends after 32 years. But if it weren't for him, give me a hard time in infant school I would never have joined martial arts and then this would never have happened all of this you know so I was thanking him on live tv and I think the public were thinking you know this uh bully made, made me a millionaire and why is he thanking him for you know but you can use these things to motivate you right most successful people I know had a very painful childhood or something triggered them in their later life to go off and get their hunger to, to be successful you know, Michael, he had a tough childhood, you know, and that's what made him. There was a fire in his belly to yeah. keep working hard. And it's uh, even like big businessmen like Rob Moore. He was he was bullied at school for being overweight. And Rob's one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the UK. 
And it's, there's a lot of people that I find that do that. It's not so much the qualifications, it's the mindset side of things. So, yeah, I was a big part of, part of um, my story, really, the bullying part. Um, if it wasn't for me being bullied. Yeah, like you really turned it around. Yeah, you got you got to use these things. You're always going to get negativity. Every day I get negativity. I get haters. I get bullied. You get threats. You get all sorts of stuff. And it's normal. The more successful you're going to be, the more you're going to attract and normally those people love you the most. They just don't want to admit it. And they, we, I call them free publicists because they're out there talking about you all the time. And that's what keeps you, keeps you know, Michael Jackson used to say to me, you got to worry about it when people aren't talking about it anymore. That's what he used to say. Yeah, that's true. So the positive mindset, you see you're like a healthy mindset. Is that something that you have, I know you went through the bullying and what have you, but is, um, did that come from like the martial arts? Was it something that was always kind of there or you knew, right, okay, I need to have a healthier mindset if I want to have a healthier life, so to speak? It was two things. So first of all, definitely martial arts because in the martial arts, I found something I was good at. I would already had these long legs so I could do all the kicks. I could do the splits. I could do everything in advance of what I should be able to do. And I really did enjoy it. And the instructor took me under his wing to because he saw something in me and it's, it's a very disciplined nature you have to be positive to go go for those color bouts to get to black belt and then the other thing too is my my grandfather was um seven times irish weightlifting champion and was picked for the road 1960 oh, wow. olympic games uh for ireland and um he was he had 14 children and one of them was also Mom, and he was very upset that none of his, none of his children had built the had represented his athletic side. So they don't very okay. academic. My mum was a lawyer, and they've all got university degrees. They've done very well that side, but none of them really had got into weight training. Or, or um, my granddad's brother actually was into judo, he was martial arts champion too. So he he took me under my wing too, and he trained me with the weight training side. So when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old, when you're you got your martial arts instructor saying how good you're doing, and then you got your grandfather who's pushing me hard on the weight training, and I'm getting that insider's knowledge at such a young age. Then, uh, yeah. I mean, I had a job to understand half of what he said because he was from a uh, kind of Dungar. <laughs> speaking hell of a fast, you know. But he 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 trained with people like Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and um, they hung out together a lot in, in in the UK when Arnold was here. So they actually trained together. So you used to have some great stories about that. I don't think they liked each other very much because they were both competitors. But uh, yeah, he was very inspirational. So when you got your grandfather from that background supporting you, and then your martial arts, then I yeah. knew my parents were totally against it. I mean, they were like legalized violence, is what my dad used to call it. And um, I, and my other grandfather, he was against it too because it's all he comes from. You got to get a trade. You you got an electrician, be a plumber. Yeah. And my mum wanted, obviously, for me to get go to university or something. So when I left school with no qualifications, either side weren't very happy. Although my other grandfather, he did correct himself two years later when I was a millionaire. And uh, he said, I'm really sorry for saying you won't make any money from kicking your legs about. And he, I got that wrong. And um, he lived to his night. Totally yeah, wrong. Yeah, he did. He's been my biggest fan ever since. And so he only passed away in November. He got to 97 years old, almost. And he's... Uh, was a huge fan of what I did but yeah it's all about having the right people around you it's so true oh very much so just I'm curious your own kids are they following in your 
footsteps with the martial arts and things or that's a good question are they going to have to do yeah that's a things? good question i think the problem you have with your own kids they're, they're they're raised around this madness so i've got six children i've got three teenagers for my rehearsal marriage i don't say ex-wife we oh, got yeah. on really <laughs> i had one of those yeah, we all have one as well and uh <laughs> we got really wow, man. Though she she's around here on Mother's Day with my wife, and um, brought my three daughters around with the other three children, and we're in the kitchen together and stuff. And this, we we get on just fine, you know. We're like best friends now, but but uh, we don't have this half brother half sister thing either. It's just that my career just took to such a dynamic. She married somebody who she hoped would be relatively normal, and would um, end up watching Coronation Street and Emmerdale, all the soaps and stuff in the evening. Career uh, obsessed going to work out at 10 o'clock at night and stuff like that, and having helicopters flying over the house and Michael Jackson hanging around, staying around. And that's not what that's <laughs> not what she signed up for that craziness. But that, that's who I am. I can't really, uh, I've got an ambitious nature. So, yeah, my kids, when we fit my first three daughters, I tried training them, but they, you know, I'm daddy to them, they're not going to say yes, sir, no, sir. Um, one of them in particular is Savannah, my 13 year old, she's very good. She's very tall. She's got the long legs and natural ability. But they it's not cool to do what daddy does. And then the other three, my two boys, oh, no. Zach and Hero. So, so uh, Zach is uh, seven and Hero is five. They they love martial arts. And they, oh, they, are, they are, my wife calls them mini-me's. They look like me. They put the martial arts suits on and they, they, they come to competitions. <laughs> they sign autographs and stuff and they... I always hear them doing martial arts in their bedroom, and um, they, they, I think they're, they're definitely going to do it. There's no doubt. But lockdown has not been able to them to actually really get stuck in. And my youngest one, um, Miela, is uh, she's two, so she's starting to do the odd kick or two. But I, I don't know where it's going to go with her yet. We'll see. But it's difficult for your kids because they're around this martial arts thing so much. You know, it's like my oldest three. They 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 were around Michael as well uncle michael to them so they uh it, it, they they have that upon them and uncle yuri you know and and uh, like mark lester who's wow. who's godfather to whatever he played oliver twist remember the original oliver twist who michael, oh, michael yeah. jackson introduced me to him he's michael michael's best friend he did oliver twist he did black beauty and prince and the poor but all these massive movies so my daughters have got these very famous godparents and they're like dad how can you do that to us you know and uh at a time, to me, it just seemed normal to me. So they're just my buddies. But it's funny, isn't it? Like when they're when your kids are like young and that hang off every word that you say, and then when the teenage years hit, it's as if suddenly you've grown two heads, and they look at you as if, "What? What are you actually saying, Mommy? You don't know anything. You, yeah, for some reason. But I suppose we all go through that when we're teenagers. That it isn't cool to be listening to and agreeing with our mom and dad even though we obviously want what's best for them yeah but i suppose all teenagers or all kids have to go through that they're proud of me really when i go on tv like i do lorraine kelly or this morning that oh dad why why do you have to do that and i said it's, it's my job it's what i have to do and uh, but when i mention their names they secretly love it and if, if i'm if I'm out with oh, them yeah. and I get noticed, they love it really. You know, they, they pretend they don't, but they, they do really. It's just, um, like you said, it's like teenage wrestle with embarrassment of your parents, isn't it? And their dad is not normal. They, they, my oldest one said, why, why can't you just be normal, dad? 
Why does it have to be best friends with Michael Jackson? That's so weird. You know, Yuri Geller, Mark Lester, and all these people. Why can't you just be a normal dad? But then they would never. Whereas other teenage kids are going, oh, I wish you were like that. Yeah. So you can't win sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's a very humble experience when we did that that house swap with rich house, poor house, because they they've all been raised in mansions. So to go and live in a two bed terraced house on a budget of 120 pound. You have to watch that, Amanda. I'll send you the link. It is uh, very, yeah. it's, it's a good educational experience for them when they can't just have whatever they want and they hear noises through the walls, which they're not used to. They're like, what's, what's that, Dad? Can we sleep in your room? Because it's freaking us out. Because they just lived in mansions all their lives, you know? I mean, my, my oldest daughter, Madison, she used to be in a car seat in, a, in the front of a brand new Ferrari with a top down. That's the way she was raised. So they've all had very privileged lifestyles. So that, that was a real good wake-up call for them. We didn't put Madison in that one, actually, because we felt she was going to get bullied at school. But um, Lola Savannah and Zach and Hero are in that one. Riella wasn't born yet. She came on the year. Oh, she's in episode two, but she's in Monique's belly at the time. So, um, but How long did you swap for? It was uh, eight days. In... Yeah, eight days. Wow. It, was, it was tough going. I thought you'd just swap houses and chill out. But you don't. You take on their role. And um, his wife was disabled, so my wife didn't have to do anything because his wife couldn't walk, Kim. And uh, so I had to do cooking and cleaning, and I never done any of that before. Cutting the garden. I, some stuff didn't make the final edit, but it was hilarious. I didn't know how to use a grass cutting machine because I'd never done it before, you know. And they would say, cut, and they would put it down on the director say, Matt, we shouldn't pay you having to teach you this. You know, you're two old years older than me. The director would get very frustrated. It was an exhausting experience, but it was great. I had a night shift job as well. And, um, yeah, it was, it was obviously the public. It was, uh, it was a very tough council estate in Southampton. They don't tell you where you're going to go. And, but when word gets around, especially with my backstory, it becomes a bit of a tourist attraction. And people are outside the house taking okay. pictures. And, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one. But it was a smash hit, that program. That's why they went back and did a second version of it a year later. Um, but yeah, it was it was great for the kids. That is, as you said, I think, yeah, it's it's such a humbling experience because sometimes you get caught up in life and you take for granted things that you have. And then when you see somebody else's life, you realize, oh my god, I'm actually very fucking lucky with you know. That's what challenges I may have are minute in comparison to what somebody else is experiencing. Yeah, exactly. You just it's it's, it's a huge humbling experience, and I think um, they'll never forget it. Well, it's there, it's there on film too, so they can watch it back whenever they want to. It keeps getting repeated over and over again. It was shown in Ireland, I think, actually too. Uh, it definitely would be shown in Northern Ireland. So um, yeah, it was great. I mean, all, all... oh, let's watch it. Yeah, I'll send you the link to both the episodes and. You have to allow for me trying to cook. I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> and cut the grass. Yeah, that wasn't shown. It was that was too funny to be shown. I think the, the washing and the cleaning of the toilets and all that type of stuff. But uh, I enjoyed it. I was exhausted when I got back. It was, it was an odd one, Amanda, because I was happy to get back to my life. But they didn't want my life. They were happy to yeah. get back to theirs. Because so I thought they, they would really? yeah, I thought they'd be upset with coming back to... That type of living, but that's how they know. They don't want my life, you know. 
Jesus, that's mad, isn't it? As you say, you'd imagine people whenever they're getting that kind of lifestyle, they'd be going, "Yep, yeah, fucking bring it on." But oh, that's yeah, yeah. I know. So here, Matt, I'm just I'm interested to know if you know you've obviously a very healthy mindset, positive mindset. Do you still have like we off days and we pity parties and things like that, or are you just so? focused on your healthy mindset that you don't really have off days like cheat days or off, off days with your mindset you mean off days with your mind where you're just sitting going ah oh, yeah like this. I yeah bothered. i'm just a human being so i get i get the same uh same reaction like anyone else did it's just the way you deal with it so if i have a negative thought in my head then i'm pretty good at deleting it and getting along with it the only ones i can't control is when you're sleeping and you're dreaming that's, I wish I could control them. But um, no, of course, yeah. And even like when the pandemic, when lockdown was announced, I mean, every human being on this earth, even Tony Robbins and all the big mind power players are going to have a little bit of a wobble and a shake-up about families, yeah. health, health yeah. not just financially, because we're okay financially, but about the health of your family, you know, what's, what's going to happen there? And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody has this little and that someone in their head saying that you can't do this you can't do that you shouldn't do this you should slow down make yeah. it easy but i think you've got to learn this stuff in the school of hard knocks man it's very hard to teach and my franchise i try and teach them to set aside time for their family and don't train too hard because they're going to hurt their joints when they're older or don't diet too fast and you know don't um spend too much time drinking and watching netflix when they could be reading educational books and educational documentaries but it's hard to teach it's like the school of hard knocks and it's uh, yeah. a lot of people lost their marriages i've witnessed too due to the fact they've just been too career obsessed and um you could always get money back that's easy but getting time back you'll never get back and so it's, it's important to try and get some kind of balance in place so that's one thing i've learned from the school of hard knocks in my first marriage I was terrible at it, you know, working from when I got up to when I was literally ready to collapse and not, not seeing my daughters, mm -hmm. not seeing my wife. This time around, ten, well, we're nine years in now with, with Renique and uh, it's a very unique relationship. We're, we're together 24 hours a day since we met. The only time we've been apart is the three nights where one of the three children were born and um, the wedding night. That's it. The rest of the time we're, we've been together day and night that's just the way it works with she's from south africa that's the way their culture works and i adapted to that really well wow. so um yeah so she... it's funny i would have been of the the thinking that and again i suppose you learn something new every day like i would be thinking maybe this is just me i think that with people relationships whether it's your partner husband wife kids friends you need your time together and your time apart but then like as yourself with yourself people other people thrive being around yeah. a person all the time whereas I know for me unless maybe do you know what it is Matt maybe I just haven't met somebody that I want to spend 24 hours a day seven days a week with yeah I could think of anything worse than being be apart from her and even if I go to London I always make sure I, I can stay in the hotel if I want to but I always make sure I come back and get back here uh, or she comes with me you know, so there's we just never apart. It's just it just works for us. It might not work. It wouldn't work in our first marriage. We would have killed yeah. each other. Me and my ex-wife laugh about that. We would have absolutely killed each other. <laughs> there's no way that would have worked out. 
but with with Monique, it works. It works really, really well. And I think she understands well. She was a pop star, and well, she still is in South Africa, and she had a number one album there just recently over Christmas. And uh, so she understands where I'm coming from. Where I have to react to things sometimes at eleven o'clock at night, and uh, there will be gossip about me. There will be rumours. There'll always be talk about Michael all the time and my other celebrity friends. And when I went out and about, it's all about me all the time. And, it, and uh, when I go to South Africa, oddly, I'm, I'm Matt Fidesz, Monique Fox's husband. That's the way it works over there. It's <laughs> They're like pushing you to one side. Yeah, I don't know what's to know me other than, uh, yeah. And, and when we got together, it was a massive big deal over there. It was because uh, Michael just died. So it was, it was Monique Fox married Michael Jackson's bodyguard, and it was front page of all the South Africans. So when you go back, there's a bit of fuss, but mainly the, she she gets met at the airport with security, and off she goes, and I just have to chill out. I, I, I got my rest time now. So it's uh, when she comes over here, she she has it easy. So it's kind of a strange one, really. It's like the Britney Spears of South Africa. Wow. Jesus, that's... She's fair. Another famous person. My goodness. The wifey. That's yeah, well, she she gets. That's why it works yeah. so well. I think she understands that I have to do what others don't. I mean, it's never been. She's never had a normal life, and she's been brought up in extreme poverty in South Africa, where they literally live live off bread and water for weeks on end. You know, and uh, so she's so humble. Even now, now she's like multi millionaire. She's what's twenty seven. And, and she's just, she'll go and shop at Primark. And uh, I keep encouraging her to go and buy other places, but she doesn't see the point. So she's just very humble, very normal. You'll see in that program, she's just a real normal, normal woman. She's fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and what did your youngest is two? Is that what yeah, my youngest is two. She, she's a little diva, dear me. She's a little diva. Of all my daughters, she is hardest work. <laughs> But to be fair, to be fair to her, she she's it's it's an odd one because she became fun and a toddler in lockdown one. So when she sees another human being right now, she freaks out. And runs. It's like it's going to be like the back effect, I think, of lockdown. So she hasn't seen anyone. Oh, I know. yeah. So so we go to a park now, which we're just allowed to do. Um, she will stare at other kids, wondering what the heck is that? Because she's not seen any other children apart from her her brothers and sister. She's seen me and Monique and um, the nanny. That's it. There's nobody else she's seen. So she's had a bit of a strange one. But we were, we were out on Saturday and we bumped into some friends. And she she was like, she saw that, uh, the manager of my organisation, Larry. And um, he's 59. And she's never seen anybody that, that that age before, not a man. And she was just staring at him and trying to run away. He was freaking out. But, uh, yeah. It's going to to slow the introducer back into the world and and get a mixing with. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, this I just now that you say that, even though so many people are obviously we're getting to the stage that we are wanting to get back to whatever is going to be normal again, but there are going to be people who are whether it is we toddlers, um older people, whatever, that are going to be so full of anxiety at the thought of getting back out to mix with people again. And like, it's going to be, a, for some people, that's going to be overwhelming, even though 
probably the large majority of people will be delighted to be getting back out and human contact as such. But there will probably be an element of those who are very anxious at the thought. Yeah. Oh, there will be some social anxiety, won't there? It's going to be a lot of that. Definitely. There will be, especially the older generation mm. too. They're going to find it very tough. They're going to find it very tough coming out of this thing. But uh, yeah, we just got to push on. I mean, I see, I see they're doing well in Northern Ireland with the vaccines and I've had mine over here. And uh, yeah, I think they're pushing on. I think we're lucky to live where we live. If we're in other countries like South Africa, for instance, they... They got, they got nothing in place. They got no social distancing or anything. There's no vaccine plan in place or anything they've done. They've banned alcohol today, which is bizarre. I don't understand that because from what I've seen, people need alcohol to be able to cope with this situation. But then I got my company in Australia and we just had our championships out there. And we have people in crowds with elderly people, all normal, back to normal. No vaccine, nothing. No social distancing and you're wondering what the heck's gone wrong in the uk this doesn't make any sense and yeah <laughs> no here matt a lot of it just doesn't yeah. make any sense uh, to be honest um but it's been a, a, a crazy crazy year we won't forget this one sure. won't we like you no it's it's if you were watching a, a movie of it you'd be going holy god that's yep. a bit far-fetched yeah. but <laughs> Yeah, I didn't take it serious at first. I was just even my doctor, and he nearly died of it a month later. I met him with him. I said, "Do you think I should speak to all of my team about this coronavirus thing?" And he's now nah, just like a like a little flu. Don't worry about it. And a, a month later, he was we nearly lost him. He's a good friend of mine, and but yeah, none, none of us knew how serious this thing is. And hopefully, people will take the vaccine and we can get all this behind us and move on. That'd be the the wonderful thing. We'll be able to travel around again. Because I, I, I spent most It's even like... like, tra like not having freedom for me is so so odd because normally I'm traveling constantly, you know, to some degree. And, um, yeah, that's just been very odd, being cooped up in my house. You know, I've got a nice house, obviously, but even so, it's like you want to go mix... I'm normally, I mix with a lot of people at my events and things. I can meet 5,000 people on a day. And when, when yeah. you go from that to nothing, it's very unusual. It really is. I'll never moan about a restaurant again, a hotel again, one day again in my life. <laughs> but you do, as human beings, I know there are people who like to just keep themselves to themselves, but as human beings, you thrive off being around other people and their energy, as long as their energy is a, you know, a positive, upbeat energy. Um, but you need that interaction and whenever that has been sort of taken away from you it, it does it, it's very difficult yeah I mean we do we, human beings like being around other people I think there will be an element of virtual still for at least another 12 months and I, and I think winter might present issues but uh, oh. even going back to conference there's still going to be yeah. like you said people who won't want to mix with people so it's going to have to be being back to their houses I don't think meetings are going to be the same well, normally, maybe we would have got together for this podcast. Now it's very accepted that podcasts, I think, are going to be virtual forever. And you can do global now. You know, you can do America, whatever. It doesn't make any difference to you. Just send the link, done. Whereas before, that would have been a mental block for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah. And club, things like Clubhouse have really brought people together. I mean, that's been massive. Clubhouse is um, 
And I was saying this actually to Gary as well. The thing about Clubhouse, I have only joined it a few weeks ago. Um, it's how nice and forthcoming people are, like yourself and other people in their field of expertise, that they're so willing to share and help and encourage other people. And if they can do something for you or whatever it may be. And that I am like blown away by how kind and generous yeah. people have been the ones that I have yeah, connected totally with agree. in Clubhouse. They, they have been. And I, unfortunately, there's a lot of fake people too out there, Amanda, which is, I think that's why you got to use Google for a while to try and... True. I've seen so many people um, who jump on stages and they say nothing and they gain these followers and then you go in their bio and they claim to be a PR expert. I know that industry very well. It only takes me five minutes to bring a few editors or do a Google search and you realise they're a fake and in their bio they're selling a, a course on how to be a PR expert this and you see oh. people like this not just that that's an example there's so many different people that they call it sitting they sit on stages yeah. they amount this massive following they don't when it comes to them being asked the question they disappear and there's a lot of that going on i think clubhouse will put a stop to that eventually there'll be some kind of verification going on like the blue ticks that we that we have but right, okay. be interested to see what happens to clubhouse when lockdown ends properly because they're like six rooms a lot of these rooms yeah. the bigger ones and you wonder how that's going to maintain but yeah we'll see where that where that goes but i think you hit the nail on the head people like clubhouse because you don't have to worry about what you're wearing you know i've heard people doing it in the bath before they just yeah. put on clubhouse in the bath you, women don't have to worry about makeup or anything like that so when i first heard about it, what, a, what a crazy idea audio only and then you go in there you realize why it's so successful but I think it's going to kill LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's in serious trouble. And um, because, it, I mean, you can't hide behind a fake profile with fake Ferraris and fake jets. And you have to be who you are with your voice. You know, you need to be uh, right. You, you have to give information. You can't hide behind a manager or an agent. That's why you're not seeing many celebrities in there because they feel very vulnerable in there. I've tried getting celebrities in there. No chance, oh. man. I can get asked any question, put on the spot. So they can't hide behind this image that's been created. But um, Paris Hilton's in there. She, she does. She uses it very well. But no, normally social media, like Instagram, celebrities jump at it. But with Clubhouse, they've been a bit cautious. Yeah, and I suppose as you said, just when you're saying that, because they have to be warts and all on, and no one's going to like, edit what's being said or what's not being said they just yeah. will yeah and, and also in that audience, in oh, that you audience you've got swarms of journalists and stuff too and if they know someone's going to be on or be interviewed they're going to have journal i've seen it now you've got bbc in there and freelance journalists and i actually did an interview with um one of my friends there michael jackson and um it got picked up by someone in the audience who's a journalist and they they wrote on the back of the interview for a tabloid paper which appeared the next day so that's the problem you've got with with celebrities getting in there i, I think they're going to shy away from oh that's unreal like it, it just but you know what that's frustrating as well like because you're going Fuck, why do people always have to like you know jump on any opportunity they can to while i'm saying how amazing and wonderful and kind and generous people have been with their time and their advice 
there'll always be, yeah, as you pointed out, there'll be ones that are in there to see what they can get and who they can pull apart and pull down. Yeah. Which I suppose reflects real life yeah. as well as virtual. That's the life. way it works. Tall puppy syndrome. If you're successful, they want to knock you down. But so far, Clubhouse has been great because there's lots of business people now, entrepreneurs and life coaches, property investors. But when they open up the floodgates in May to all the devices, it'd be interesting how it changed them. And uh, Yeah, apparently that's in the next few weeks, isn't yeah. it? That they're, um, you don't need an invite and it's yeah. going to be an Android. So, oh, yeah, the fun will, will begin there. We'll start charging for rooms <laughs> then as well, I imagine. So he, uh, oh, okay. Oh, Jesus. We get in yeah, at the right time, it. I think. Um, back to just when I'm saying about your healthy mindset and positive mindset, do you have like a ritual that you would maybe do every day that keeps you? No, in that you know place? what? I don't, Amanda. I've got friends who are obsessed by this, this 5 a.m. thing. and and then they eat at this time, they train at this time. But that's not how I want to live my life. I've tried all that, but I just feel like crap all day and tired all day. It doesn't work for me. Getting up at 5 a.m. for me, I can't yeah. think of any worse. And it's and then um, working out at that time in the morning, that's not for me at all. I mean, the peak time for human body to work out is around about 11 a.m. when you're fully awake and, and you're ready to go. So for me... I, I, I have my tasks that I have to do. Like I, I call it like wins of the day. So I like to have two or three big wins of each day where I know I've accomplished something big, which is taking me towards my goals. But scheduling out your day every half an hour and then um, going to bed at a certain time, and then that's just crazy. I, I just don't think that's living life. That's just being a bit obsessed and you're just going to burn yourself out. I've tried all that stuff. I've tried every damn thing you can think of, all the Tony Robbins. Diary schedules, <laughs> but now they just exhausted me. If you're motivated to get things done, you'll get things done. You just got to know what to work on. Rather than working on admin, you can outsource a lot of that these days to virtual assistants and things. And um, got to work on key areas, obviously, working on your health, working on your goals, your family. But it, you don't need to schedule out time to go and eat with your kids and your wife. I mean, that's just a natural process. So, with me, I'm just clever. I just take it as it comes. Yeah. So I, I make sure I accomplish something each day. Some days I might not do as well as other days, but then I'll make sure I make up for the day after. And um, yeah, I, I try not to. Uh, I've done that machine mode for 10 years. And look where it got me. It just, it's destroyed my marriage, which has an effect on my three other daughters, definitely. I mean, mm -hmm. things worked out well for me in the end of a minute, obviously. But it's not. Um, I don't believe it's sustainable. You know, I just don't believe it's a sustainable thing. And I know it's proven fact. People that get up at 5 a.m. pretty much accomplish more than others because they're working more than others don't. But then I was talking to a guy last night who goes into your room. He's called Nida. He was a business magazine. And he was surprised to see that I was up at 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. But my 5 a.m. club, is sometimes I don't go to bed at 5 a.m. because I've I got to work with Australia. So I, it doesn't horses you, you got to build your own routine that works for you there's no set routine that's going to work for everyone you got to find something that works for you and the more kids you have things get thrown like your kid might be ill you know you need to react to that you got school pickups you yeah. got after school things and unless you want to be a dad that's not involved at all with your family and your kids then or mum if you're a mum entrepreneur 
then you, you can it's difficult you might have a doctor's appointment or dentist things throw up in life you know people die people get ill it's, it's impossible to to you can have a structure to an extent but um for me i'm more creative than i'm at night time for being new ideas in the and people don't ring me at that time of night whereas in the morning i'm like i'll be like a zombie that ain't gonna work for me that's no good for me and who wants to go out and walk i got you know pete cohen who's a good friend of mine pete gets up and he goes out 5 a.m in the dark uh, i can that's not for me in freezing cold weather we might be in sunny spain or something like that but that's not for me it works for pete, yeah if i yeah i'd be the same if i thought if I was going to bed and thinking, right, I need to set my alarm for five, I would be sobbing in the bed thinking, no, I can't fucking get up at five o'clock in the morning. So there'd be no point. I won't be able to go to sleep either because I'll be so worried about getting up. At, I'll be I'll be up all night thinking yeah. about getting up at five. So I'll probably get about two hours of sleep. So <laughs> now with me, I, I, I know what works. I know what areas i got to work in. And um, some days are more productive than others. But I also got to react to my franchise's needs as well. I can't just schedule out half an hour. Like in the middle of a workout, if, if somebody really needs me, i got to react to it. And that pandemic's taught us more than that. If i got a franchisee who's struggling with mental health issues and it desperately needs me, then I need to put down the weights and call them. It's just the way it is. And um, that's how you get on in life. You go the extra mile. You know. It's, so so i got I got friends that works great for them. They get up at five. They work well, and they they must have very understanding wives and partners and and husbands. It works great, and I got others who are like me who just like Michael never had a routine. He would, he'll get up at like two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, he he would get up when he what he needed to get up because that's when he thought he needed <laughs> to sleep. And there's, there's some science on that as well. Um, but yeah, I think whatever works for you, and you get the results, then it's okay. But it's not good. It's going to change as you progress. Like if I started off at 18 doing the 5 a.m. club and, and, and working that through and doing your gratitude thing in the morning, your goals and getting your workout done and returning your messages, your DMs. But then you start having a children. Each child you have is going to absorb, absorb more of your time. And then, like, yeah, you're going to get pulled yeah, in different, different, different corners. And, and, and I've had six of them, you know, and it's, it just doesn't work for me. Take, it takes me two hours to speak to each one of them on the phone, you know, so it's, yeah. <laughs> and they've all, and the six of them, I'm sure, like, I've only got three, and they all have different personalities and different needs and different wants. And I suppose it goes back to that, you know, when you have a, your child number one and you parent in a certain way, and you think, right, okay, I'm going to do the same with child number two. And then you realize, oh, that's not really working for this one. And then the next one comes along and you have to do it. Like, you have to tweak it all the time. And I suppose in a way, it's something similar to people who get up at five o'clock in the morning. Some people it works for, some people it doesn't. Like, as you said there, you have to find what works for you. But don't get so hung up on if somebody's saying to you, okay, right, this is what I did. It worked for me. Don't think oh, Jesus, but it's not working for me. I must be doing something wrong. You know, you have to find what works for you. And as I say, the same way as with the kids, what you did for one child will not necessarily Yeah, it's true. I mean, and also it's very true to say your first kid, you're always going to treat differently than the rest of them. You go, you do more pictures of them, more videos with them. And when it comes to 
Carl third or four, you realise you missed out on doing everything else. But they, they, are, they are similar. Two of my oldest daughters are very similar personalities. They look very similar. And then one of them is very, diff, very different. And then um, the two boys are extremely different. And um, Miela, my youngest one, yeah, she's like one of her older sisters, Savannah, very much so. It's very old of my six children. They all look like me. My my ex-wife and my wife, they was one thing they... They got a little bit of a thing about that, uh, a rant about that. How, how the heck do the kids all look like Matt? Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can tell they're all my kids. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's very strange, but no, it's great. I mean, it's great to have them around. They come around here for Easter. We'll have all six here. And do you know what? People think got oh, six kids, but it's actually not. When I got all six here, it's easier than just the three because the older three look after the younger three, and it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. We come from an Irish thing. background, and you know, you know how that works. It's yeah, big families. I mean, mum was one of fourteen, one of fourteen children. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of children. That's a lot of children. So, what is next for Matt? You can say it how you want it, but that's how you say it. Yeah, that's the best pronunciation so far. Matt Fidesz. Um, well. Oh. With me, I'm going to obviously keep on growing my um, my franchise networks. I'm more motivated now than ever to try and help and inspire people to to go on and do well financially in their life after how vulnerable they all found themselves in with the pandemic. And um, I I consult and I help and mentor other businesses to outside of martial arts and Pilates, yoga, and so on on how to franchise their business, scale their business through franchising or licensing around the world. So that's what I do now. I'll continue along with my media work when that comes back to normal again. We're working on a book at the moment and um, spending time with my kids. We might knock another kid out. Yeah, you never know. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. She's only 27. <laughs> What's another one? She can have oh, well, another few. Another one, one maybe. Another one. Well, my older three are like, I don't do this for us. <laughs> it's bad enough as it is when people ask us how many brothers. I tell you, my oldest three, so when my, my first marriage, she had two sons already, so I've got two stepsons. Uh, and uh, so when they have to explain how many brothers and sisters yeah. they got, it's a bit of a mission because they got two brothers and um, then they've got uh, well, the other brothers and sisters too. So it's, it's quite, there's a lot of them, basically, eight of them in total. That's mad. But just, it's funny. You're, what yeah. do you say you are 41 and your yeah. wife's 27? I, I would, I'm the other, it's the other way around for me. Not that I'm, I'm single at the moment, but I would be more attracted to a younger man. But I still think society frowns upon that more so than when the man is older than the woman. Or maybe yeah, they, they do. Imagine that. And, um, so my ex-wife is eight years older than me. And uh, so I've been there and done that. I don't think the age thing had anything to do with it, to be honest, other than the fact that she was a lot more mature than me. I'm more of a, like a, a kind of a mumsy type figure. So when you get them both together, obviously makes uh, mm-hmm. she, she's 13 years younger than me, but you'd never know it. I mean, we just, she's very mature for her age and so on. But I think once you get the right person, that's the hardest thing to get in life right, Amanda, is getting the right person. And you post the business side, all that's easy to do. 
teach someone to be a millionaire yeah. in five years. That's that's easy. It's the personal bit. Takes a bit of luck as well, and um, and a lot of adaptation from the other person's side. They need to react and accommodate what you are and who you are, and not try and change people. Um, so it's been a lot of give and take there. But um, no, yeah, I've been there with the old. I've had the older woman. And um, it was nothing to do with the age, just my career obsession, really. And uh, I mean, she's younger, but you never know it. I mean, she's very clever, very intellectual, very grown up for her age. She's already got three kids, you know, she's had a career that she's signed by record label at 15. Um, and she's very involved with my business anyway, my properties and things like that. And so she's, yeah, I don't think the age thing comes, I think age, I don't really don't believe aged and time to be honest i think it doesn't mm. i got friends who are in their mid-60s who are married to 30 year olds and they got amazing marriages you know it's just yeah well my ex-husband yeah. he was 11 years older than me so i don't know if that's maybe why <laughs> finding myself attracted to younger men now but yeah <laughs> He's out there somewhere. Yeah, you, you, when, when you're ready, the person will show up. That's all that happens. When you go looking, it don't happen. It's when you're ready in your mind and and you're at the right time, the person will show up when you least expect it. Yeah, you'll just fall out of the Yeah, you, you never know. <laughs> I only went to South yeah. Africa by mistake. I went there because um, I was getting battered by the media, absolutely battered by by uh to do with michael and it was just a never-ending thing for like three years and um my agent at the time he was managing me trying to trying to keep me out of the press was the problem it was just i was dating a girl from celebrity big brother at the time and um it wasn't helping matters it was just constant media attention and on the other hand my personal my mum was dying of breast cancer she only had a few months to live so he he said look you've got a lot to deal with you can't go on like this, you know. And me and my ex-wife weren't getting on well. We're going for a bad. We went for a bad divorce. It took four years. And um, he said, "I'm going to South Africa. Come along with me. Hang out okay. at the hotel." Um, and he was looking after a pop star who was touring South Africa at the time. And um, he he would go and do his work and tour with her. And I'll just chill out at the hotel. Well, that pop star ended up being my wife. So I went out there. Yeah, and then two weeks later we got no engaged. Way. And um, my lawyers were going, yeah, two weeks later, we got engaged. Two weeks? My lawyers were going mental because I'd, I'd only been in financial divorce for six months. And, um, <laughs> and this, this preconceived judgment of South Africa too, where they're bad people and the whole criminal side, there were people very protective of me. And then um, they got, my friends, they just freaked out, you know, like, what the hell is he doing? And then I brought her back with me. So I came back engaged two weeks later. I was only supposed to go out for a week. And then um, we we got married. So we got engaged May the 18th. We got married on July the 28th. And then that was that. So it's just the way they work over there. It's just if you know, you know. And we and knew straight away. That was the way it's going to be. And it's a very different setup to what I was used to, Amanda. She'll, she'll tell you if you ever interviewed her. That they, due to her culture, there's yeah. no sex before marriage, no boyfriends before marriage, nothing like that. So I've gone from this wild glamour girls and big brother stars okay. to somebody you can only get jiggy with on the wedding night, you know, which is a whole different 
situation you've got to respect their beliefs and so on they're not even allowed to be apart from their parents in any way so if i took it for dinner then a dad would come along and so yeah absolutely yeah it's very odd <laughs> and said in between you both married all that stops right away <laughs> and you're married and then um but then then we had to kind of find ourselves as a couple and then i move on in but when I married her, she didn't want kids. She, she was quite happy with having three stepchildren. She had a music career, but then I just found her crying on the sofa one day. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I want a baby. I mean, the maternity was kicked in. She wanted a, wanted a child. So, uh, oh. yeah, then we knocked out three of them. Well, Matt, can I ask you, right, you know the way, like you were saying, you were dating, um, like, celebrities and all that kind of stuff. And you met like two i'm just repeating this two weeks after two weeks how how did you know after two weeks that like what was what was what actually you see i can't get my head around this like how can you i'm not saying how can you know somebody but what is it that is it like a bolt of lightning or something that you're going uh right no this i don't know really i, I mean it was personally. an odd one because i we landed in south africa and we went to this hotel and it's a very false feeling in south africa when you're in a five-star hotel because you don't see how terrible some of the areas are. And then she turned up at about 10 a.m. I think I landed about 7 in the morning. Um, she had a lot of security around her. And they were fascinated with me and me because they were black guys who were big fans of Michael Jackson. So they wanted to meet Michael's bodyguard. She wasn't interested in meeting me in the slightest. She had a bit of, she was a bit of a diva like, like her daughter, Miela. Uh, she said hi and stuff. And we had this instant <laughs> like, connection with each other. And then um, we'd hang around swimming pool and things like that, but we wouldn't we wouldn't be left alone. I mean, she'd have her people around her all the time and photographers and, and stuff like that. Um, paparazzi were out of force as well, trying to get a snap because they they followed me from Johannesburg Airport straight to the hotel, so they were there. And they were hoping to get a picture of me and her together, which they got in the end. And we were actually we're quite proud. The only paparazzi picture I'm proud of we got on our wall when we got caught in the swimming pool together. And um, yeah, I just knew straight away. And I knew how complex the difficulty was going to be with understanding her religious yeah. background, her culture. Uh, I couldn't understand a girl who's virgin at 19. And to me, I just didn't understand that at all. Or not had a boyfriend before. Um, and this, this, this whole, yeah. I don't know, control, but this belief that until, until you're married, you're not let out of the house type thing. And I remember once I stayed there for a couple of weeks, her parents had come and stay at our house okay. and I stayed at their house and it's a very humble house in an area and you, and you see all the people out on the streets and stuff and you hear the ice machine go off in the middle of the night you think someone's trying to break in because that's what South Africa's like. My wife got held at gunpoint when she was younger too and they, they robbed everything from her family. It's, it's, it's uh, quite a reality. But when I got to the house, I kind of expected, mm. me being me at 32 years old, that I would be in Monique's bedroom, right? So I thought, you know, it's been two weeks now. Surely I'm going to be in Monique's bedroom. And um, yeah, it, so I was in a spare room initially. <laughs> and then one night her mum said, I think it's time you, you went stayed in Monique's bedroom now. And I thought, oh, fantastic. It's about time. It's been, it's been like three weeks, four weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm man, I was all ready to go. I was in there ready to go. And then she comes right? in, gives me a kiss and says, all right, I'll see you in the morning. I said, where are you going? She said, oh, the parents want you to give you the room, bigger bed. They they got me to put me at bed in, in their bedroom. And then I was and then the door shut and I was thinking, 
what the hell is this about? So I called my mum. No I said, Mum, this is nothing. I'm 32 years old in Monique's room. She's <laughs> sleeping in her parents' room on the park bed. She's nearly 20. And she said, oh, that's the way it should be, my son. That's why the grandparents were. It's a great grandparent. Our marriage is last. But I kind of learned <laughs> to stick with it and understood it in the end. And it's better than I ever did, you know. And this, it was a hard thing to me to understand. Obviously, very different to what I've been raised with. But it worked, it worked really, really well. You should get her on, Amanda. She'll be good for you to interview yeah. from the other side of it, I think, from an entrepreneur's wife and how we met and how she thought about things. Because for her, you imagine from her parents too, that's their their golden child, right? And uh, and then you've got the guy who flies in, who's to do with, to do with Michael, yeah. and it's all about me. And I've got three kids, so it goes against everything that should be normal for, for their daughter's husband. Um, so, yeah, they obviously approved of me right away and it, it worked fine it was just yeah it was tough going though it wasn't you easy you won them over you can imagine it's their baby you know it's uh and also they they knew the reality was she'd end up living in england and and obviously now it's been difficult because she hasn't seen them for over a year we used to fly them in four or five times a year rather than take the kids out there and she hasn't seen them for over a year and there's no real prospect to seeing them currently there's no vaccine there's no they've got a south african variant they, they, they can't they haven't worked that one out yet so yeah. it's it's been a, it's been tough yeah yeah That's we've got tough. facetime and all that so yeah, that, she speaks every, every day on that but yeah for her for her side of it might be a bit different but for me you just when you know you just know i just knew and i knew all the hassle i was going to get from it too uh, people say oh she's after your money she wants a visa. I had everything, you know. And I lost a lot of friends over it as well, but they, I soon proved them wrong. So uh, I was just going to say, and now today, when you look at your beautiful wife and your amazing kids, and you know, exactly. yeah, I was exactly. I trusted my yeah. gut. She she got a good catch. She did well. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. She did. Uh, she did very well. She's a sweetheart. She, she'll, uh, you'll get on very well with her. She's great. <laughs> oh, I, I would actually, I would love to, I'd love to chat her, as you said, to sort of get it from her her take on it. And Absolutely, yeah. We'll arrange that for you. I would love to. Yeah, she would love to do that. Oh, you're a you're a sweetheart. Well, Matt, I am not going to take up any more of your time because, as I do know, you're a busy, busy man. And I, honestly, I swear, I am so, so grateful that you took the time out. And you are a fascinating individual. And like, I could just sit here and talk with you. But as I know, um, you know, people have things to be doing and getting on with. So I do appreciate it so, so much. You taking time out of your It's really a pleasure. And I can't wait till I can get over there and meet you guys. So uh, hopefully that'll be. A bit I yeah, know. But, uh, yeah. yeah, all the ones that have been in Gary's uh, rooms all coming together, face to face. Awesome, wouldn't it? That, that, that will happen this year. That's going to happen. That, that that will happen. But I'll oh, see you in the clubhouse room. When's the next one? Friday. Yeah. Uh, I, it's usually there's one on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, oh. um, yes. Yeah, so, um, no, 
Matt, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and enjoy the rest of your day. And I will uh, no doubt see you in one of Gary's rooms or in some other room if I see your name. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, wave at you, but no, then they'll we'll, think we'll save the best stuff. <laughs> it's been a pleasure being on. Thanks, man. <laughs> Stay safe out there. See Absolutely. you soon. Thank you, Matt. Don't forget to like, follow and subscribe. And remember, if talking about it has got you thinking about it and you would like to share your story, get in touch. Until next time, take care.